Uh, in, that, in that same line, uh, as, as a family ministry pastor, I, the, one of the most recent messages I did here was called City on a Hill. And it was the idea, our students took that verse, City on a Hill, and we looked through our entire messages last year. All the, all the scripture we walked through was through the lens of how do we do this as a city on a hill. If we're, if we're a church, if we're a people of Christ and we're called to be a city on a hill, that's the, the verse we walked through. And uh, this year, we're going to continue on the same vein. So this message is going to be what our students will hear. Um, and this, this is going to be our verse for the year because students are living in a very present darkness, Right? If you guys are awake and you're watching what's happening in our world, it is a very present darkness. And it doesn't stop. And it comes and it attacks and it prowls and it chases after. So my idea as as a student pastor is to give them a good word and give them good hope and give them good encouragement and give them the word to teach them how to walk through it, how to accomplish this, how to, how to reflect and emulate Christ in the midst of this very difficult place. So we're going to look at uh, Philippians 2. If you can crack your Bibles open to Philippians 2 this morning, we're going to look at verses 14 and 16. And just before I do that, while you're opening up the word, let me pray that God would give us instruction. Jesus, we just come to you today. I come and, and I pray this, that, that our people here, that I here, would, I would love you more leaving this place than when I first came in, that I would know more about you and your desire for my heart as I leave here than when I came in. Jesus, I pray that you would be here and present, that my words wouldn't be heard, but your words would be loud and evident. God, for those of us this morning who are distracted by the world and by the business of life, I pray that you would help us to pause, help us to stop and hear what you would have us say in your good, perfect, and holy name. Amen. Okay, let's read from Philippians. I'm reading from the NASB, and it's going to be a little bit different from the ESV. Um, but let's, let's look at Philippians 2, 14 to 16. It says, do all things. If you have a pen, highlighter, or something, circle all things. If you do all things without grumbling or disputing, so that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent, children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation amongst whom you will appear as lights in the world. This is a command given to us by, Paul, by Christ through Paul, and it's a charge. And I'm going to put the first point up here, a charge. We're going to do those questions you did in grade school, who, what, where, when, why, how. Uh, the, the first question is this, who is this for? It is a command given to us from Christ through Paul for every believer in every church and in every generation. So it does apply to you. It means that we have to pay attention to this. It means it's going to be significant for our lives. It's pretty sweet. I grew up being a, I don't know, fourth kid, kind of bad. Fourth kids just want attention because all the other ones get it. And so uh, I heard multiple verses from my mom over and over and over again. One was lying lips are an abomination to the Lord. I knew that one well. And the other one was do all things without grumbling or complaining. Over. And over again. It's a sweet verse for parents. If you're a parent, you're going to be like, I'm going to get to know this one. I'm going to memorize it. Because when you're like, we need the dishes done. We're not vacuuming done. You've got to clean your room. And the kids respond with a very non-exciting or enthusiastic response. And you can just throw it out. Hey, got to do everything. The Bible says it. Everything without grumbling and dispute. It's, it's pretty great. I don't particularly love applying it to myself when my wife has told me to take the garbage out for the 15th time. I do roll my eyes and grumble and complain. 
So I don't love pursuing it, but if we're parents, if we're gonna use it, that's great, let's use it. This is a great verse, this is a wonderful verse to use, but we gotta remember we're gonna apply it to ourselves as much as we apply it to any of our kids. That means when we come home into the house after a long, hard day of work, or when you come home after a church message with a convicting message, or after another elder's announcement, or when someone tells you there's a family function that you're going to on opening day of the NFL, September 7th, (laughs) do all things without grumbling or complaining, Marshall. See, these are all like surface uses of the text. And it, it, it does apply that way. And I think, I think that's, that's good for us because it's, it's not one of those ones where I have to like dive deep into like the Greek tense of the verb or the, the cultural Greco-Roman nuances of context. Like I don't have to go that deep to understand this. I don't think the difficulty is the text or the, the linguistic complexities or the culture or context. I think the difficulty here is the practical application of the words, do all things without grumbling and complaining, or grumbling and dispute. I think it's hard to get past the how. Meaning this, I I can hear it, I can read it, I can see it. None of us have a difficulty understanding the words and the order they're put in, but I don't really understand how I can practically do all things, because most of us, if we're Christ followers, we can do most things. Most of us are good to say, yeah, I'm good to do most things without grumbling or dispute. I can do all the easy things. I don't mind doing the joy-filled things, and I don't mind doing the things that I agree with. But if you're honestly asking me, God, to do all things, I'm going to start to grumble. It's funny, I was, I, was, I was writing this out, trying to figure some of this out and how, how to walk through this, and I was in the off, office with our, our pastor, Pastor Jeremy there, and I was just thinking, like, there's, there's got to be some, like, caveats or some graces in this, like ways where we can kind of, uh, yes, I know, it applies across the board, but biblically, there's got to be some, like, excuses to this. Like, we should be able to grumble or dispute a bit if someone's like living in sin or there's, there's sin being done against us. So I took a, a little bit of a deeper word, kind of linguistically looking at the words all, all things, do all things without. It turns out it means all things. <laughs> you couldn't get anywhere on it. I went, I went as deep as I could, but, but here's what I came up with. All things actually, it, it seems to cover all things. So like at church, at work, in your marriage, at home, at school. It includes things like parenting or interacting at the office or when you're in ministry or when you're serving. And if you you even go, we can go a little bit further when it says do everything without grumbling and complaining, here's, here's more of it. It means in your trials. It means in your suffering. It means on attacks on us. It means in adversity, it means in conflict, it means during seasons of lack in your lives or seasons where authority has been removed from your life. It means this, in the midst of your defeat and your failures, we are still called to do all things without grumbling or dispute. What it really boils down to, church, I think is this, and please, this is such a wrestle for me, I'm sure, as it it is for you. There's no escaping here because I'm preaching it. It's a conviction and a weight on my heart as I go through this. 
I think it really boils down to a trust in the full sovereignty of our king if we claim to be Christ's followers. Believing that God in his goodness and his kindness, even in his full justice, has allowed this thing in our lives, whatever it is, to happen. So I have to be willing to joyfully submit to that truth and to do, thro- do so to walk through it without grumbling or dispute. Part of the markers of our spiritual growth. Part of the way that you can, you can look at your spiritual life and see how you're doing, see how it's reflecting, is to ask ourselves, do we see a decreasing presence or a reduction in grumbling, whining, arguing, complaining in our lives? I can even ask you, right now you could ask yourself this question. Are you always the person that's in a dispute with someone? Are you always arguing with people? Or do you always grumble and complain about things that don't go your way or things that you necessarily don't agree with? Do you endlessly complain about things that aren't the way that you'd prefer? So Paul's trying to address a culture here within the church. He's trying to address something. He's giving us some, some decent warnings here. He's trying to address this, this idea that grumbling and dispute has been in the church for some time. And for a little bit of a clarity here, Philippians is a great church. He probably had a Phillies hat. He's a huge Philippians fan. He loved this church. He loved what they were doing. And, he, and in this text, we still see guidelines and warnings. And so we ought to listen to these. If we want to be spiritually healthy as a body of Christ, if you are committed here, and we're going to be spiritually healthy for the sake of our spiritual growth, we need to pause and listen to what it's saying here. He's saying, church followers of Christ, we have to stop grumbling and arguing. This is one that goes way back. Like as far as you can take your Bible and flip right back to the beginning, we can see that, that this seems to be all over human nature. You can see the Israelites, they're great at this. If they're known for something and we get to judge in our new century, we get to judge them and say, whoa, they really complain a lot. We get to kind of do that, but if we did it to our own lives, we wouldn't want to see what we saw. But if we flip backwards, we can look at, we, we have the, the Israelites, they're walking out of slavery out of captivity to the promised land with a prophet of God. God has provided water for them and an oasis in the middle of a desert and they're just grumbling and complaining. I mean, bread is falling from heaven and they're grumbling and complaining. Exodus 16, 8 says this. This is Moses talking to them. He's like, the Lord hears your grumbles. Listen, would you grumble against him? He says, what are we? Your grumblings aren't against us, but they're against the Lord. Moses leading God's people from captivity to freedom, from slavery to the promised land, and it just seems like people are never satisfied. They're never satisfied in his leading, but they are never satisfied in the Lord. I've I've looked a few times, and I don't see any evidence of Moses getting overwhelmed with letters of encouragement. It doesn't appear that he's getting so overrun with encouragement that he needs to pause, but he seems like he's exhausted and tired from endless complaints. And I'm not saying that's us here. We love it. We soak them in. So please send your emails to Ryan at Riverside Baptist. We'll get them all. We love it. (laughs) 
But what he's, sorry, Ryan, if you're, he's not watching. But what, <laughs> sorry, what God is saying, what Moses is saying here is like, listen, church, you're not complaining against us. You're complaining against the Lord. You're, proclaim, you're complaining against sovereignty. You're grumbling against what the Lord has ordained. Listen, for you in this season of your life, what the Lord has ordained, so your grumbling and complaining begins to put this wall in your heart. It's so constant. We can see it all over. Even if you, if you look at Numbers 11.1, 1, it says this, And the people complained in the hearing of the Lord about their misfortunes. And when the Lord heard it, his anger was kindled, and the fire of the Lord burned amongst them and consumed some of the outlying parts of the camp. This is a, a really exhausting part of our nature. It's an exhausting part of human nature. If you have kids, you are well aware of it. Complaining and grumbling is just exhausting. But it's been around since sin has entered the world. There's so many Saturday mornings where I just, I would just love to sleep in a little bit. I don't know, you don't, you may not know me, I have four kids from three up to 13, and I would just love to sleep in a little bit. But rarely do I get out at 7 a.m., open the door, and start yelling down the hall saying, your level of praise and encouragement to each other is too much. I just get up and scream at them for screaming. Because it's in our nature just to, bicker and go at each other. I can't imagine a business. I know most businesses have departments, entire departments called complaint departments. I've never met a business that has an encouragement department. For 20 years, I worked in the secular world. I worked in the jail system, in the private sector, non-for-profits. I worked in federal, municipal government, motor vehicles, lots of complaints. And I worked in housing. And if you got a complaint... Like Lucy would be running down the hallway showing everybody as fast as she could. If you got a, a sorry, if you got a, a praise, she'd be like, look what we got, look what we got. A complaints just like secretly go in the box and the piles and piles and they get dealt with elsewhere. Encouragement and praise doesn't seem to be an issue for us. Or it does, it's just not a non-existent issue. We have an issue with complaining. So I see Paul in this text, he's, he's addressing that, he's talking about this, he's saying that if we are a people that claim to follow Christ, then we need to drastically look different than the world around us. In this text, he's give us, giving us instructions, pointing back to a people that have been doing this for generations, and he's saying this, church, and he's saying it to us now, he's saying we can't keep doing things the way we've done them. We have to pursue things differently. We have to engage things differently. If we claim to trust and submit ourselves to God, then we have to do things differently. So we have to do all things without grumbling and dispute. Second slide we'll have up is the why. The why is right there in the next verse. Look at it with me. Open up your Bible. Philippians, look at 15, 215. It says, so that church, you will prove yourself to be blameless and innocent children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked, I believe ESV says, twisted generation amongst whom you will appear as lights in the world. What are we supposed to do? We're supposed to do, not yet, he jumped one. We're supposed to do all things without grumbling and complaining. Why? Why? So we will shine out as lights in the world. Church, it's so we could be different. We're being told to do something hard to change something that's in our nature so we can do things different. The purpose of this text, the aim of this portion, it's clear to the Philippians, it should be clear to us, it's so that, church, we can get our house in order here. We can get our house in order so that our, our job or our role or our purpose as a witnessing community can actually be fulfilled. We need church to get our house in order so we can do what we're called to do. 
which means we have to get above the, the petty disputes and the bickering and the fighting and the complaining and the endless grumbling so we can be seen as blameless and innocent. Blameless meaning this, that, that we would be living in such a way as a body of Christ, as a whole, as a church, that our church, Harvest here in Huntsville, would live in such a way that fingers of criticism can't be pointed here. So we could fulfill our witnessing role. That's, that's the blameless part. The innocent part is, is similar to the word pure. If you look them up, this exact same word as pure, and it's this idea that if we're making, for example, a chain out of metal, it's, it's, with, it's using pure metal without mixing in like weakening alloys, or it's having, I shouldn't, I'm not Baptist, I can say it, wine that's undiluted. It's having wine that's like pure wine. It's that, it's that idea that we need to be undiluted, or we need to be pure in our, in our understanding of what God has asked us to do. We can't be mixed, and this is big for us. We, we gotta be careful. We can't be mixed with the customs or the cultures or the morality of the world. We can't be mixed with that. We can't be, if we wanna stand out like stars in the galaxy to the world around us, we can't be mixed with the world around us. We need to go solely and purely to God's guidance, to God's wisdom, to his direction, and to God's moral compass. And part of that, church, is listen, we got to stop arguing grumbling, disputing, and complaining. Why? So that we will prove ourselves to be blameless and innocent children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. By the way, it's, we're not the only ones in the history of mankind that have had to walk out our faith in a very dark time, are we? We're not the only ones. We can't be like, mm, Paul, you don't really understand what we're going through here. 2,000 years ago, he wrote this because they're suffering with the same crooked and twisted and perverse generation that we are struggling with. In fact, he even quotes back to Deuteronomy, which means 4,500 years. Like, this is something they've been dealing with for a long time. Look at what it says in Deuteronomy 32, 4 to 5. It says this, The rock, his work is perfect. All of his ways are justice. A God of faithfulness without iniquity. Just and upright is he. And listen how his people respond. Yet they have dealt corruptly with him. They are no longer his children because they are blemished. They are a crooked and twisted generation. So we can't look at Paul and say, yeah, but you don't get it. Things are different now. It is dark. It is difficult. It is, it is hard. He's saying, no, man, this has been happening since sin entered the world. We are a people in the midst of this generation. I want to make a big point here because this is a tough point to, to try to get across. But listen, church, it is not our role. It is not our role to fix this crooked and twisted generation. It's not our role. It is not our role, it is not our job as Christians to fix the crooked and perverse generation around us. That is not our responsibility. We're going to look at the, the where slide is up. In, our role is this, inside, it says in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, inside of it, we have a role. Our role is to do all things without grumbling or dispute so that we can be seen as blameless and innocent children of God whom we will appear as lights in the world. 
We, we, we can't enter into your workplace, into your schools, and think that your responsibility is to change the crooked and perverse generation. What your responsibility is, is to enter that scene and to act like Jesus in such a way that those might be drawn out of that generation, out of the crooked, out of the perversion, out of the twisted, and come towards Christ. That's our role. The weight is on Jesus. It's not on us. We want to do this so people are drawn to Jesus. I want to stand out amongst the crooked and perverse generation so people are drawn to a new way to live, so they are, they are introduced to a hope that is far beyond this life. I was sitting right in this and I thought, imagine if I could really nail this. If, imagine if, if Marshall and, and all our family here, if our church, if we could, if we could really nail this as, as a local body of believers, but not only that, in their works, in their homes, in their church, in leadership, in ministry, an elder level, on janitor level, on, on family level, on parent level, on every level we could handle, if we could do this, if we could do this thing, if we could nail this, if we could live life, go through suffering, trial, difficulty, if we could do this without grumbling, without without complaint, and we just did what God called us to do, man, imagine what our town would look like. We'd have 12 services running here on Sunday. We would, people would be drawn here. They would be drawn to a people that have a joy and a life about them in the midst of all circumstances. Just before we move on to the, the probably the more significant one, let's go through. We have who? We have every believer, every church, and in every generation this applies to. What is it? We're called to do all things without grumbling and complaining. Why? So that we will shine out like stars in the world and where in the midst of a crooked and perverse or crooked and twisted generation. And then we got to talk about how because that's so hard. It's easy for anybody to come up and say all this, but for me to practically apply it to my life feels and seems impossible. Last year, I was chatting with someone who had a, a tendency, and you maybe know them, and please don't, maybe it's me if you know me, but it, it's, it's that person that just argues everything. It doesn't matter what it is. They can argue pickles. They just argue everything. And we're having a conversation and we're just jumped into it. Like I just said a common statement, jumped into an argument about it. I thought, wow, you, you just love to argue. And they kind of chuckled. Yeah, I love to argue. And I, we, this verse came up and that the response to it was this. Well, I just have a very argumentative personality. And I was, I was kind of floored because it, it came out to be that this is, this is how God made me. It's part of my makeup. It's part of my nature. This is how I operate. And it's, it, just, it just really, uh, it got to me. So I want to say this because part of my correction in my life about my deep desire to argue and debate every human I ever met in my life was just my goal for some reason. I want to say this. It's an across the board statement to all sin. I want to say this. If you feel... Like there's a part of you that, that is natural. Something in you is just natural. It's in your nature, but it goes against what God in his word says is right, acceptable, and true. Then it's called sin. It's sin that needs to be repented of and not embraced. We don't have this excuse. Jesus in six, Matthew 16, 24, Jesus said to his disciples, if anybody wants to come after me, he's got to deny himself, pick up his cross and follow me. Pick up a cross means dying to your old self, putting to death those things that are not of God. Of course they feel natural. Our nature is sin. Our flesh is corrupt. But we are called to put to death those things, not to live in them. 
There's a how, there's, there's two answers to the how just in this brief text. There's answers all through God's word. But if you look at verse 13, we're going to go to the verse right before. Verse 13 says, For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. For it is God who is at work in you. Let, let me say this. In your nature, you cannot correct this. Your nature is to grumble and dispute. That's why there's a whole section of text about this. That's why it's been done all throughout history and it's recorded here. It's part of our nature. We wrestle with it. You got to know that this is God who is gonna work in you to his good pleasure to work this out of you. But how do we do that? How do we get to that point? Well, we can look it up right here. The why is in verse 16. Hold fast to the word of life. Holding fast to the word of life. I can say that. 55 times, and it still may not ring a bell, but let's hold fast to the word of life. And you say, Marshall, I'm talking about how do I practically do things that are hard and annoying in my life without grumbling and complaining? Hold fast to the word of life is my answer. That's my practical answer. Hold fast to the word of life. John 1.1 1, 1 says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. 14 says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. The word of life, what does Jesus say? He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to me except to the Father. Hold fast to the word, which is Jesus, to life, which is what he promises. Hold fast to Jesus, and it'll start to change. The only change I've ever seen in my life is when I grabbed a hold of what Christ has told me to cling to. It means that I start to release the things I want to grumble and complain about and I start to grab tighter hold of what Jesus has called me to do in my life. Hold fast to the word of life. Hold fast to Jesus. What does it practically mean? It means just that. When you want to grumble and complain, stop and pause. Stop and pause and hold fast to the word of God. Let me give you an example of how we can hold fast to the word of God. You can look at verses like, and you can even flip to it. It's just a page over on Philippians 4, 8. And this is a highlighter one. This is one where you just land on. Philippians 4, 8 says this. Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, Whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about those things. Shift your mind. Shift your mind. It means when you're in a, in a situation where you want to start grumbling about what the Lord has done in your life or what the Lord has allowed in your life or what you're going through or how evil someone is in your life, when you want to dispute or argue, then stop and do this. Think about those things, all the things that are honorable and just and pure and lovely and commendable, things that are of excellence, things that are worthy of praise. Exchange your thoughts for something greater. Exchange them for Jesus. Colossians 3.2 says, set your mind on things that are above, not things that are here on earth. 3.15 says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which you were indeed called to one body to be thankful. Yeah, but I'm struggling with grumbling and complaining. I know you are, so am I. Let's exchange our thoughts for the thoughts that are above, for things that are not of this earth, not of this world. You're probably thinking of all the verses I could read. There's thousands of them that we could exchange. Thousands of them holding on to the, to the word of life, holding on to God's word, reading it, meditating on it. It, it. it can really actually practically eliminate our desire to grumble. I said at the start, part of the marker of our spiritual growth, church. Spiritual growth as a church, as a community too, is to ask ourselves, do we see a, decrease, a decreasing presence 
or a reduction in the grumbling and complaining in our lives. I realize that it's, it's, it's not my role to change the universe to my liking. It's not my role to shift this culture from crooked and twisted or perverse to holy and righteous. It's not, it's not my role to make sure that, that I know, that everybody knows everything I disagree with. It's not my role to debate every human on every opinion in this world. Rather, one of my many roles given to me by Jesus is this, to do things in life without grumbling and arguing. That means I'm gonna toil and I am gonna sweat and I'm gonna struggle and I'm gonna persevere all while the time, all during that, I'm gonna hold fast to Jesus, to his word, to his promise and to his truth. And I'm gonna do it the best I can without grumbling and complaining because the Bible says in Matthew 5 that through my good deeds, people will be drawn to the cross. So we're gonna do everything we can to live above the bickering and the complaining and the negative arguing that never ends. We're gonna do everything we can for the glory of Jesus so people could know him more. I was talking to this week to a friend about trying to, trying to figure out like, how do, how do we, like when there is a complaint in my heart, there's a grumble in my heart, how do I do that? And we just talked like, what if we, what if we instead of shooting off at the mouth, Instead of breaking our keyboards in anger, sending off emails, instead of filling our phone messages with negative emojis for a hate-filled text, what if we just wrote them down and brought them to Jesus and said, I'm struggling with this. God, help me. What if we turned our focus to anything that's true and honorable and just and pure and lovely? Like, what if I, I, I just said, man, my house is always dirty, but I could say, praise God that I have kids that would, I would fill my house with dirt. I said, man, I'm just so tired. I'm so exhausted from work. Well, praise God that I'm able to provide for my family. Man, I just, I just don't make enough. I'm sick and tired of making so little, but, but praise God, I know through your word that you will provide all my needs according to your riches and glory. What if we exchanged our grumblings to praise and our disputes to submission and our complaining to encouragement? I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. I asked a lot of what ifs at the end there, and there is an answer in God's word to the what ifs. I said, what if we did this? What if we did this? What if we did this? Well, here's the answer. If we did that, church, then we would be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and perverse and twisted generation amongst whom we will shine like stars, all for the glory of God. People would be drawn here to our church like a moth to the flame. They would hear the sweet hope, the sweet promise of Jesus because there would be revival here without complaint and grumbling and dispute. If I were to end this, I would say this, church, let's hold fast as much as we can. Every day, every moment of our lives as we wrestle, let's hold fast to the word of life. Let's hold fast to Jesus. Letting the word renew us and transform us inside. Renew and transform us so that grumbling and arguing would not be seen here at harvest, but rather it would be encouraging people. People here would be full of life, love, wisdom, gentleness, kindness. We'd be known as people who are selfless, humble people who love Jesus and love others. Amen? Let's just pray. Can you stand with me while we pray? God, your word is so true and so real. 
And God, I, I just, I wrestle at times knowing how to practically apply what you've called us to do, but God, I pray that the very simple, the, the simple plain text here that says do all things, do everything, God, that we would attempt in our heart, in our, in our sinful ways, we would try the best we could, God, that we would open the word, that we would exchange those difficulties for praise, that we would look into your word and we would focus on things that are right and pure and true and holy, things that are excellent and worthy of praise, and we wouldn't spend our days focused on all the things that we want to complain about. God, I pray that we would be a people that are so focused on witnessing, so focused on loving our community, so focused in drawing people to hear the gospel and the hope of Jesus Christ, that we would love you more than we love ourselves, that we would love you more than we love our own desire to complain, that we would love you more, your word more, your sovereignty more than our desire to grumble against you. God, may we not grumble against you. We thank you that we're here that you brought us here today. God, and there are so many broken hearts here. There's so many difficulties just in this one room. I pray that we would walk that out well with each other, that we would lift each other up, that we would encourage each other, build up, that we would lift, that we'd use our gifts and our talents to serve each other well. In your holy and perfect and precious name, Jesus, amen. Church, let's worship.